Hello and welcome to the Care It Out Sleep Show, a podcast for tired parents who are searching for a bit more sleep the caring way. I'm your host, Kerry Secker, infant sleep consultant, founder of my unique sleep approach, Care It Out, and your caring sleep supporter. I really hope you'll join me on my mission to get small to settle night's sleep without the tears, training, or techniques. I love talking about sleep and I can't wait to share my sleep subjects with you. My approach to getting you more sleep is simple, straightforward, but above all, it's got to make sense and feel best for you. Ready to get more sleep? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Sleep Show. Thank you so much for picking up this podcast. You are listening to your host, Kerry Becker, and today I am going to be talking to Olivia Hinge. She is an IBCLC midwife and lactation consultant, and we're going to be talking all things boob-related, and I cannot wait. Hi, how are you, Olivia? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. So I know how so much time uh, time is so precious. I'm so happy that you um, can and talk to me. I'm really looking forward to it. And I managed to say that, that IBCLC word. You did. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed with myself. So Olivia, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, I am an NHS midwife and that's sort of my paid work Um, so I work in a busy London trust on the labour ward as a midwife Um, and then just as my it's kind of a uh, a hobby but that's a very strange thing to say but um, I trained as a lactation consultant after I struggled so much breastfeeding my eldest child who's now seven Um, and I have this Instagram account where I give out advice really just evidence-based advice it's not just breastfeeding it's all about infant feeding so my passion is that uh, information around how we feed our children is based on evidence and facts, not sort of those hearsay and, and old wives' tales, um, but also that it's accessible to everybody. Um, and I'm really passionate that no matter how you feed your child, you deserve to have decent information to allow you and your child to thrive, basically. Yeah. I Can I just say, if you haven't checked out Olivia's Instagram page, to go and do that. It is absolutely amazing. The it's funny. It always makes me laugh, Olivia, <laughs> which I think is really important. It's accessible, which again, really, really passionate myself that information, evidence-based, sensible information is accessible to parents. But the wealth of knowledge um, that is there, Olivia, is absolutely amazing. I'm always fine. Oh, fine thank you. To you. Thank Not you. Just a hobby. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a sad hobby, but um, yeah, I just, there's a big gap, isn't there, in in terms of um, what NHS trusts and health visiting teams and you know paediatrics what they offer. So in terms of like good, decent, solid advice, so it's to sort of bridge that gap, perhaps for people who can't afford private um, lactation consultant stuff or people that could afford it, but you know it's not accessible in their area. Um, so yeah, it's just there. Amazing. And thank you for being a midwife. Honestly, my midwives were absolutely amazing. And just oh, that's nice to hear. So just so much love for what you do. It must be the most incredible job. It is. Fun. It's yeah, it's a it's a it's an absolutely magical job. Um, I feel very, very lucky to still absolutely love it as well. But I think that's probably down to the fact that going to work with three kids at home is um like a break. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, and I'm very I'm very part. I'm very part time as well. So my colleagues who are, you know, full time doing days and night shifts, you know, I have set shifts because I've got childcare commitments. So um, I must admit, I think I have it the easier end. Yeah, I think they will. I think all midwives are flipping amazing. Oh, thank you. 
Um, so today we are going to be talking about feeding, breastfeeding, lots of questions. If that, or maybe maybe the best thing to do is to go through the questions that we've um, been sent. So I put out on my stories last night that I was speaking to you today. We were recording a podcast and asked the questions. So I've got quite a few. Shall we yeah. just work our way through those? And then yeah. if there's any time left at the end, perhaps you can share some snippets, like tips yeah. and reassurance for everybody. How does that sound? Sounds excellent. Cool. Okay, well, let's go through it then. So question number one was, how can I stop my 11-month-old pulling my nipple out like a stretch arm strong? <laughs> I like the stretch arm strong. I personally call it nipletti because it's like they try and make spaghetti <laughs> out of your nipple. Um, so if they're it's a really really common thing it's not there's nothing wrong with your milk supply or anything like that majority of the time sometimes they it's basically just a sensory stimulus for them um, and they're obviously not actively feeding if they're able to do all this sort of jollying around with your nipple so for me it's quite uncomfortable and it can really make you get that internal rage um particularly as children get older things you know it can become more uncomfortable when they do these sorts of things. So it's about boundaries, really, for me. It's if you don't want your child to do that, it's kindly saying, I really don't like it when you do that. So I'm just going to stop the feed. And this is even if it's a six month old, you think, well, they can't understand a thing, but they can understand tone and they very quickly cotton on. You stop the feed. And then if they sort of go and you think, oh, maybe you do want some more then put them back on the breast and perhaps squeeze your boob, like do a compression to make the milk flow. And then that will show you if they then start gulping and drinking. Yes, they do actually want something. But if they go back to sort of doing their stretch Armstrong thing, then just be like, no, I'm sorry right now. I, I'm not enjoying this. So you just stop the feed. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are quite shocked when I say things like you can have boundaries and you can say no to a child um, when you're breastfeeding. We work so hard to initially get breastfeeding going that and you've got that mantra you know if in doubt whip it out just boo 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 the baby all the time but actually as you get older it is okay to say no and it is okay for your child to protest and say but hang on I was loving that game stretching your nipple it's really fun it's okay for you to say I'm not loving it and we're going to stop there right now and if they cry it's them saying but I was enjoying it and all you've got to do is empathize and be like I know you're enjoying that but why don't we give you something else to put in your mouth that you can do that with so like yeah. a gummy toy or teething something um, and just give them a distraction really yeah I love that I'm all about boundaries here and I definitely that relates to sleep as well people are quite often surprised if I say you know it's okay to say no and put in a boundary we don't have to if something doesn't doesn't feel good or we don't like it or it makes us feel uncomfortable always okay yeah. to say no in a very loving and responsive way so absolutely love that and I love Lipetti is it <laughs> I mean, I must be honest, that's saying no and putting boundaries in place is something that I've only really mastered and become comfortable with in my third child. With my first, I found everything like that incredibly emotional and I just I just found boundary placing very, very hard. But that is also okay. It's okay to be like, you know, I really loathe it. I'm gritting my teeth. Um, And, you know, if it's okay to accept that you loathe it, grit your teeth and get on with it then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, makes total sense, makes total sense. Do you recommend any particular teaser or nurse, nursing beads or jewellery or anything like that? I, do you know what I, I recommend? I don't. 
Uh, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, particularly also if children twiddle, which is where they feed off one breast and want to roll the other nipple in their hand. Dear Lord, that literally makes my vision turn red. I hate it. Um, so absolutely, a distracting something for that twiddly hand or if they've got very sharp hands and they pinch and squeeze at the breast, give them anything. It doesn't have to be expensive branded breastfeeding jewellery. It can be anything sensory for them. Mm -hmm. So if you think they like the soft squidgy, give them something soft and squidgy or something smooth and silky, give them something smooth and silky in that other hand. Yeah. Great idea, great idea. Thank you. Um, another question was how to transition a 10-month-old exclusively breastfed to part formula for nursery. I guess the question is, do you, if your baby or child is going into a childcare setting, it might not be nursery, childminder, yeah. do you have to, A, do you have to put them on formula? And yeah. if so, how would you do that, I guess? It, it's it's really hard I'd love to know a little bit more around this um I tend to find in the UK people are going back to work at sort of 11 12 months um personally I wouldn't faff around with formula at that age I would feed responsibly when you're together um and when they're at nursery they have food and water um from 12 months onwards they can have an alternative milk whether that be cow's milk or a vegan milk just not rice milk and um, if you want them to have something like that they don't have to have um so formula or cow's milk in terms of it over 12 months because it's for nutrition in itself what it is is a readily easily consumed good portion of calcium so if your child is offered other calcium rich foods, so cheeses, full fat yogurts, stuff like that, or vegan alternatives, then you don't actually need to be giving any milk drinks, even if you stop breastfeeding at 12 months. Okay. So, yeah, so from for, for a 10 month old, um, if they eat and drink, drinking water is really the most important thing. And then if you're happy, there'll probably be, be a bit of reverse cycling um, where they might want to feed a bit more frequently overnight as they adjust to this. Then you don't have to do anything. But if you feel that you do want to give formula for whatever reason, um, it really depends what the, whether the child will accept a bottle. Um, so what we find is that the, the automatic sucking on everything and anything actually that sucking reflex dampens down around two to three months and that's why it can sometimes be quite hard to get a baby who's three or four months to introduce them to a teat at that point because mm -hmm. they're just like no thanks um many will take it no problems though so you could try an open cup you could put formula in an open cup and just see if they'll drink that or you can put it in a bottle if they don't like the taste of the formula because it's very different to to breast milk then you can do a sort of half and half ratio so perhaps make up you know an ounce of formula to an ounce of breast milk um, and combine them because mm -hmm. uh, that or do any ratio to be honest and you can then sort of alter that so that you get to 100% formula um, and they can have it in a bottle or a open cup you can try and do this at home before they start nursery I think we try and do a lot of preparation in the build up to going to childcare that you actually don't need to do. Mm -hmm. So 
we've got this thing that, oh, my, you know, my child needs to fall asleep independently at home because they're going to be doing that at nursery. My child needs to accept formula at home because that's what will be happening at nursery. Whereas actually, in my experience, what happens is the child is very much aware that home and nursery are totally different places. So in fact, having very different routines and structures in those two different places can actually for some children be very helpful in making a distinction. Yeah. You know, mummy and booby is not at nursery. And that's OK, because cuddles with their key worker is is totally different. And that's OK, because it's a different setting. And also, I do not know what they do in nurseries or with a nanny or with a childminder, because my kids who have always been boobed to sleep or rocked to sleep or pushed in a pram, never, ever had a nap in a cot, will walk into a room, <laughs> lie in a cot and fall asleep independently. And I cannot tell you how high needs my eldest um is and was and she did that and I could not believe it and it was such a relief that actually it usually goes a lot better than you think it will yeah I love you for saying that Olivia because I know that what you just said there is going to reassure and help so many people listening because I get I bet people ask me all this all the time I hear that that we need to prepare them for sleep that they've got to move away from contact naps that they've got to fall asleep in their cot fall asleep independently and somehow yeah. prepare them for this transition but yeah. I feel exactly the same way what happens at nursery childcare, on holiday stays on holiday babies yeah. and children are very very adaptable at having boundaries with different places and different people and yeah. no amount of prepping at home would mean even if you did want to make those changes would mean that they then would be able to do it at nursery or childcare anyway yeah exactly that's it you know doing all these things at home it's still completely different in a nursery yeah. Um, yeah. and I think they, they're clever enough to also know that and having distinctions is possibly a comfort to quite a few children yeah no I agree and it breaks my heart that there's a lot of parents out there that are starting childcare, which let's be honest is can be very very stressful and it's a huge for yes. everybody and they're yeah. spending their last few weeks or months of mat leave or parental leave then trying to do something that they in the heart of hearts they really don't want to do oh I totally totally agree I've actually got on my um, Instagram account there's a highlight returning to work and that documents people's they shared their experiences and I've saved them there and I think for anybody that can be a really reassuring read just so many people saying exactly what we've said um, and lots of babies at like seven or eight months who are bottle refusers exclusively breastfed um, and what how they did it Catherine Stagg who's also a lactation consultant she mentions that what she had went back to work at six months I think with one of her and that they refused a bottle so the childminder would make mashed potato with breast milk for example just ways yeah just ways to get a milky portion in them in some way Um, yeah just something um so there are you know it it is really daunting and really frightening when you first send your children off to childcare. um and I think just acknowledging actually that's okay to feel that way it's very normal it's reassuring in itself yeah, 100% I know that that's going to help so many people and it's definitely helped me to take that into practice and, and know that I can confidently tell parents that they don't, I would never encourage them to stop breastfeeding ever anyway for any yeah. reason um, unless they absolutely wanted to for, for nursery. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think so many people need to hear that. I'm wondering whether we actually, if you're up for it, another time yeah. would be to do, I talked about returning to work last week on Instagram and did a podcast with someone else but I'm wondering whether we do a, a podcast that's specifically for returning to work with a breastfed baby 
Yeah, that could be a really good idea, couldn't it? Laying out the options and at, at different ages and stuff like that yeah. and what the baby's fed. And, yeah. yeah, that yeah. sounds good. So stressful thinking that your baby is not is going to go thirsty at nursery or childcare. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. One question I did have on that, and I can't read my handwriting. Oh, yeah, water. How much? I hear so many conflicting things about how much water should a baby have. So, I mean, the simple one is it's offered from six months. In the UK, you don't have have to boil it. You can just use tap water. Other countries have different um, standards just to be offered with the three meals a day. Um, But some children you'll find will absolutely hoof back water and they drink loads of it. And then they're really reducing their milk feeds because they're eating solids and they've got a tummy full of water. Yeah. I cannot remember it off the top of my head, but Solid Starts has um, a water amount for per age. And I've got that saved in my weaning highlight. Um, It's most babies will just take what they need and then breastfeed sort of in between meal times. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a child that absolutely hoofs it back, then you might want to limit it a little bit to just a couple of ounces in total a day. Um, But by the time that they're sort of 10, 11 months, I personally offer it in between meals as well, because sort of that impending, oh, I'm going to go back to work. I want them to see water as something that's accessible in between meal times as well. It's probably a nice habit to build into your daytime. Mm -hmm. Well, that just makes Um, sense. And if you've got a child that's not particularly keen on drinking water and you're thinking, well, what am I going to do when we're apart? You, They can get, I don't know if you've ever given your child watermelon before bedtime, but that's a big error because all they do is wee through their nappy because it's, it's such a high water content in things like cucumbers, watermelon, um, that they can be used as well to hydrate children who aren't that keen on water. Interesting. My baby yeah. loves, oh, we call it watermelon, as in watermelon. <laughs> Well, you might find that she does huge wheeze if you give them loads before bed. Interesting. Interesting. I got told recently, I went to my husband to check and she said that she needed, like she's over a year now and she needs to drink four cups of water a day. I find it a struggle to get four cups of water in me. Now I'm constantly placing her with a cup, but I think I'm just going to chill out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard, isn't it? You don't want the child to be dehydrated and unwell, but you've got to look at a child and go, this is an active um, one-year-old who is healthy and thriving, doesn't have a history of like, you know, urinary tract infections or anything like that, or dehydration, constipation, then actually I think we have to have faith that they'll take what they need. Yeah, I like If I... it's on offer, they we have faith that they'll they'll consume what they need. Yeah, no, I like that. Always go by them. Um, which brings me on to which one should I do first? Oh, do the number and length of feeds decrease as babe gets older? It, so breastfeeding, probably very similar to sleep, is not linear. You will not find that um, a newborn baby feeds like 12 times, 14 times in 24 hours, and that that's then will just decrease, decrease. You tend to find um, that it's ups and downs. So things like teething, illness... Um, developmental changes similar to sleep will impact on frequency of feed probably Um, and also as children explore the world they need to come back for comfort and for many breastfed babies the breast will be a place of comfort for them so um, no basically it's very up and down I also find to reassure anybody around age 12 months they are absolutely savage for breastfeeding they feed more than a newborn baby Um, And it can be a real shock and you really worry and think, I'm going back to work. What's going on? 
I just see that as a developmental milestone sort of thing. There is so much going on in their brain um, and it will just itself just settle down again. And, you know, frequency of feeds may pick up again. Know is that well, research tells us that from six months onwards, our glandular tissue, so the milk making tissue within the breast, that starts to sort of die off a little bit. So, you may have children who feed very, very frequency, frequently, but they will probably be consuming less milk than they did sort of when they were three or four months old. And that's totally normal because we do want our child to transition into eating, in particular, iron rich foods. Um, I know that many breastfed babies aren't that keen on eating solids and that in itself can be very very normal again we have to have faith that they will take what they need there isn't research I'm going on a tangent sorry there isn't research to support reducing or pausing um, breastfeeds will increase solid intake mm -hmm. so don't feel too much pressure um, if you've got a child who breastfeeds like mad and doesn't eat many solids. If they're growing well, um, they're meeting milestones, you don't actually have any health concerns, then most likely your baby is taking exactly what they need. And in terms of solids, I would just sort of prioritise iron-rich foods and you offer appropriate food at an appropriate time of day and they take what they need. It's yeah. a bit like naps, isn't it? That you offer yeah. the situation, you offer the building blocks of it and they take what they need from it. Yeah, absolutely love that. I, I, it's not my phrase. I can't remember where I heard it, but I love it. We provide, they decide. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And absolutely no plate pressure whatsoever. Put it down, chat with them, not about the food, chat about it, interact together let them do what they want to do and, and try, it's so hard to trust that trust that they know what they need and they'll regulate their appetite I mean I do yes I do that but I do then have to go into the kitchen and scream silently into a cupboard when they yet again don't eat the bloody meal oh, but yeah so <laughs> or mind if you look me at the eye she'll pick it up look at it look me in the eye and then she flicks off the floor like I've spent an hour making that lovely lasagna which yes <laughs> last week you would eat without you know you doubled it up yeah I have the I have two my eldest two are very very picky eaters and I did everything quote right with them um and that sometimes can be very very hard you know when you have this idea of how you'll be a parent and then actually none of it unfolds because your kids have got their own agenda I think that yeah. can be a very bitter pill to swallow it has certainly been for my husband and I who love yeah. food and then to have these children hate food is very hard yeah oh so hot so hard no I feel that I feel that I love cooking forever yes. cooking and I'll cook something from scratch my husband thinks I'm bonkers I'll cook something fresh scratch from scratch most days most days um and yeah sometimes it just gets smeared all over the walls in the crack yeah. in a bib on the floor yeah well I think that's that's probably why we've always done baby led weenies because I'm going to cook a meal that I want to eat and not just cry like if I just made it for them and they refused to eat it it would be really wasted whereas I've been known to scrape food off their plate or scoop it out of their bib and eat it myself <laughs> that's <laughs> gross isn't it um but yeah who doesn't eat from their toddler's plate but it's when you find this very rehydrated raisin and you look at it and you think why is that so big plump and delicious looking and then you think oh god has that come out of a nappy somewhere so you oh. do have to <laughs> you do sometimes have to be a little bit wary yes oh now i'm never gonna eat anything off of a plate again <laughs> <laughs> i'm hoping a nappy a nappy riddled raisin won't be on her plate but just no. you know 
You never know, though, with this one. Just be wary. (laughs) You never know. I also, that's really interesting that it could get a bit savage around 12 months because sleep can go to absolute shiz around this time as well. I think the two are quite connected, aren't they? They they must be connected. connected. (laughs) Because all those developmental changes and um, separation anxiety, if they use the breast to reconnect, um, which is people worry that, oh, my child needs to be more independent, independently fall asleep, independent of me as the caregiver. You know, and actually, I know that you talk to your clients about this, but it's very much saying, actually, dependence develops into independence. That if uh-huh. they feel totally safe to come, you will always come. You'll always be there. Um, the breast is on offer if you want it. Um, that lets them go, well, do you know what? I am going to go off and explore. I am going to go and do X, Y, and Z because I know actually mummy, daddy, parent has got my back and they'll come if if I need them. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, that can be very feeding and sleeping. It's, it's all about actually showing them being responsive does pay off in the long term, even though that feels really, really hard at times. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So hard at times. Yeah, yeah I totally... I hate all that chat about that you've got to teach them to be independent, independent. Mm. Like, and it starts from such a young age. They've got to fall asleep independent, sleep in a separate space from you. You've got to get them to self-soothe and learn how to calm themselves down. Even as adults, we don't do that. If, if I've had a bad day for whatever reason, which is rare, but it happens, go home. Yeah. I need to have something to help me calm down. A G&T, a bit of Netflix, a bit of pizza. It's yeah. why would our little ones be any different from that? And yeah, I'm always exactly. shouting, you cannot independence, they're called dependence for a reason because they depend on us for everything. And yeah. independence is not something you can teach or train them to do, for, whether that's sleep, emotional regulation, whether going off to play by themselves, it comes from being having that as that um secure attachment base to come out, explore and come back. Yeah. So by meeting their needs, going to them day or night, it's so hard, so hard at times. But it's I see it that it's long-term, it's giving them those tools to be independent, to do those things for themselves when they are actually ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it, it is hard, though, in a society that mainstream concept is is very much the opposite. It can feel really hard, like an uphill struggle. Yeah, because you feel like you're doing something wrong if you're holding... Your baby, like, that's a classic example. So, a brand new baby, you've got to put them down, otherwise, they're always going to need you. If you hold them, they'll always expect to be on you. And yeah, I'll be honest, my parents, I think, really struggled with that because their generation, we are talking a very long time ago, was you know, you're fed, you're clothed, you've had your physical needs met, you go down. Um, yeah. Where um, I see emotional needs are still needs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I sometimes want to remind the older generations when they are very much like pushing that rhetoric. It's like, but hang on, look at the mental health of our generation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's 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 not great. So, like, actually being responsive could turn the tide on that possibly, um, yeah. which would be you know a brilliant thing. I think also when people are sort of saying, "Put the baby down, put the baby down," you've got to remember with a very, with a very small newborn baby, they're actually biologically are dependent on being skin to skin or very close contact with somebody to regulate their temperature regulate their breathing and regulate their heartbeat um yeah. so it's it's not just their emotional need it actually with a very very small infant it's it's a biological need to survive is mm-hmm. is being next to somebody yeah, yeah. which can really sure yeah. hopefully it's 
always okay to cuddle your babies. If I got told one more time to put my baby down, I wanted to scream. I was like, for what? Why? Actually, I, um, I've spoken to her as well. I don't know if you've heard of her. Greer from Nature Nurture. She does lovely things. I'm going to put this on in, on your show notes as well, but she's always talking about holding your how holding your baby close and being responsive and meeting their needs and close parental proximity is building their brain, which I think is yeah. a lovely way of looking at it. Yeah, really important, really important. Good message. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make me any less tired. <laughs> yeah that's it that is it isn't it sort of being like I understand that I appreciate that but this still feels really really and gritty and there's days where I want to throw in the towel I think that's also totally normal but what you kind of need to find around you is the people that go mate I hear you I'm sorry it's so shit right now not the person who goes well what you need to do is formula feed or you need to start pumping so someone else can give a bottle or you need to sleep train them sometimes you just want someone to go I see you. It's so hard. And just listen rather than offering uninvited sort of advice. If you want advice from a friend, of course, but it's when it's that unsolicited and actually they won't acknowledge your feelings because you're not doing what they think you should do that. You know, you've got to find your right people. Exactly that, Olivia, because there was I was going to say something then. Yes. So lots of parents don't say that they're tired or they're not finding it easy because as soon as you say to somebody you're tired they just give you the seat training talk and that's not yep. especially new parents that's not what they need to hear they need support someone to do they don't necessarily need someone to take the baby either they need someone to cook meals to yep. um, run errands to look after them to support the parents I think yeah so important that's a whole other um podcast episode as well um how to help a seven-month-old take a bottle or cup? I think you mentioned this before. Um, yeah. But yeah, any tips? How, how old was the child? Seven months. Seven months. Seven months. Um, I've got loads of um, tips on my Instagram, a highlight on getting a breastfed baby to take a bottle. You can just offer a bottle and see what they do, whether they take it. Um, some drink beautifully from a cup, a sippy cup, a straw cup. You can give milk via that, no problem if that works well. But in terms of giving a bottle to a child, what so children explore the world via their mouth. Their mouth is they're really they're very, very sensitive. Some babies are very sensitive to what goes in their mouth and they want control over it. So you find children will not be spoon. Some children will not be spoon fed because that's too much of an invasion on their personal space sort of thing. And I once likened this on my stories to it's a bit like somebody coming up to you. You've just met them and they go straight in for the kiss on the lips and for some people they'd be like oh gosh okay um whereas for others that would be a total like oh my goodness no I need a a wave from a few meters away first time then I might do a handshake then I might progress to a hug then I might progress to a longer hug then a kiss on the cheek you know what I mean some people Mm -hmm. need gentle steady warming up before you go to something quite intimate so it's with a bottle you don't just shove the bottle in their mouth and go well you know the baby won't take a bottle you have to do this courtship between your baby and the bottle and the teat itself. So every day, 
the bottle and the teat are present in your lives. Um, you may want to put cereal or rice into a bottle with a tea and use it as a shaker. So they get used to touching it. They may then touch the silicone of the tea and go, that's a different sensation. They may then themselves want to put that towards their mouth and explore it. You can give them just the teat itself um, and use that as like a dummy if they want to. You can stroke their skin with the teat because it feels very, very different to a breast. Um, so it's all about this gentle warming and building blocks to make the bottle familiar and something safe for them because something foreign going in their mouth is like a big safety red alarm to some children so yeah. gently slowly expose them to it make sure they feel safe with it familiar with it um, and that can help lots of children also there's the classic don't don't, as the breastfeeding parent, don't try and give the bottle yourself and get somebody else to try. Um, movement, I find a really good one as well. So holding the baby so their back is against your chest and your your less dominant arm holding under their legs so their bumps yeah. against you. And then sort of swaying and moving and trying to introduce a teat to them as you're moving um, and they're looking out onto the world can work well. Yeah. Or perhaps having them in a bouncy chair if they're less than six months. You may yeah. want to have them, but they've got to be quite upright because you don't want them to risk choking. So they have got to be upright. But in a bouncy chair and looking straight on at you, try that. Or perhaps you can sort of get yourself out of the vision and they could be looking at something else in the room and trying that way. Um, distraction and familiarity are probably my best tips for babies who really don't want to take a bottle yeah I love I love that and I, I'll be honest I've never thought about it that way about the but I definitely wouldn't want a stranger to kiss me on the mouth no it's your, <laughs> your mouth is very intimate it's your safe place you decide you're in charge of what goes in your mouth or near your mouth and that's very much the same for babies and infants um okay they put weird things in their mouths but they decide yeah. So we have to, you know, it, it's, it's all about that early infant building blocks and respect and our infant feeding, the way we feed them, for example, pace bottle feeding, that's the building block of respect to a child and allowing them to have confidence that they know when they're full and yeah. not us making them dra drain a bottle because I've made it and I want you to have it. Yeah, yeah. I had to do a lot of talking to my parents about that because they were obsessed that you just tilted it, she guzzled and she had to finish the bottle um, yeah she's driving me crazy and it's interesting what you say about the spoon because my baby would never ever it, it's incredibly rare that I would be able to spoon feed her she would always feed with her fingers yes yeah it's Tasty familiarity isn't it no it makes total sense it it gets a bit that. too close to my gag reflex <laughs> yeah and you're yeah. in charge of it I want to they want to be in charge they want to be autonomous with it yeah no makes makes total sense I love that courtship between the bottle and the tea I'm gonna remember yeah. that one it's not a good one thank you um oh this is a good question I feel like I could have written this myself back in the day how to manage night feeds when only you can do them or you are the only one doing them starting to resent the husband sleeping uh I think the first thing that springs to my mind is totally normal mm -hmm. you want to punch them in the back of their head and they're just <laughs> for just breathing you know mm -hmm. <laughs> I just it's yeah so it's just working ways that work for you as a family um 
some people say to the partner, particularly in the early days when the baby's still cooing overnight, okay, you get up and do the nappy, I'll get ready to feed. Um, some people find a way that works well sharing the night load. For me personally, that didn't that didn't work that well for us. Um, I was much more, do you know what? I'm going to do the night feeds. And sometimes if my husband really annoyed me just being present, I'd be like, can you just go in the spare room? I need a bit more space because the ba- I tend to bed share with my baby safely. Um, and I'd be like, can you just go into the spare room or on the sofa? Because I didn't say you're annoying me, but like just I just need some more space or something like that. Um, but then the trade-off with me doing the night stuff was when the baby woke up, he would take the baby no matter what, from 5 a.m. onwards, he would take the baby and keep the baby until he went to work so that I could get an hour or two of uninterrupted sleep in the morning. Yeah. The weekends, it was like when sleep was particularly bad, which I think I get the medal for the worst sleepers. Um, every weekend I would shotgun the the morning lie-in. Or if we had to get up or something, I would then prioritise and be like, can you just take the baby and the other children just for an hour? I just need to go upstairs. And sometimes I found I was a bit sort of overtired, so I couldn't fall off to sleep and have a nap. Mm-hmm. But I had time that I could just rest. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the day, I wouldn't, with naps, I would always encourage a contact nap because that meant I had to just sit. Um, and I had to just rest and not do all the things. Lowering our standards on our house, I personally find very difficult, but that's something that um, I have to do when I have a very young baby because otherwise you're doing every, all the work at night and then you're doing mm-hmm. all the work in the day. Um, and that breeds resentment, but also complete burnout and exhaustion. So I'm not saying sleep when the baby sleeps, but if you need to walk the baby to sleep in a pram when they are asleep, can you sit down and have a cup of tea and cake somewhere? Yeah. Um, I love that new invention, that rocket thing that keeps the, I think I need to get one. You know, it like moves the pram a bit. So if you stop, the baby doesn't wake up. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if that works for you, that's brilliant. Cause that means that you don't have to keep walking to keep the baby asleep. You can preserve some of your energy. Um, and my final thing is, is to communicate with your partner, to say to them, don't take this the wrong way. This isn't a personal attack. But I want to tell you that sometimes overnight I feel really angry with you. And I know you're not doing anything to cause that. But I think it's just because I am really, really tired. I'm, I know you feel tired too, but I'm absolutely exhausted by doing all these night feeds. And I haven't had uninterrupted sleep for quite a long time. Um and sometimes some partners, they can be the loving best partners in the world, but they actually can't read our minds. This is what my husband always says to me. Olivia, I can't read your mind. You do sometimes need to say, I'm knackered. I need some help. Yeah. Um, and then things like dividing the household chores, you know, don't you can't do it all. You do have a full time job with a small baby. Um, you know, can you get a shared list? The Microsoft to do list really works well for us. You know, the stairs need hoovering. The kitchen needs mopping. Put it on there so that they know you can divide some tasks. Um, if you can get help from other people, that's brilliant. But for a lot of us, that's that's not, you know, we don't live near lots of family um, and we can't afford extra help. So it's muddling through and just trying to keep communication open with your partner so that you yeah. don't get that resentment and that distance between you because you're pra- you're shutting down on everything and you're you're sort of forcefully not communicating because you're angry I think communication is really important yeah I absolutely love that and this is 
I've always been very honest before I had babies, but now even more so now I think it's so important to to be honest about the struggles of parenting. And this is one of hands down the hardest things I found about being a parent was, and I was not prepared for it, how much I hated my husband when I had a baby. But at the same time, I'd never been more in love with him. It's a really weird thing, really weird thing. Um, Isn't that everything about parenting though, the push pull? Yeah, you, oh, love yeah. Them, love them so, you love them so much, but you don't want if they touch you again, you're going to scream. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, so much. But so. you love him more than ever. It's everything in your life is totally upended when you have children. And a really good friend is very wise. She says, when you have a child, all the building blocks are thrown up in the air and then they come back down. And you, every time you have a child, you rebuild yourself. And yeah. You have to give yourself the grace that that will take time and some energy and it's okay that you're muddling through because it's all new to you. Yeah. I love that. She's a very wise friend. Good friend. She's a wise friend. (laughs) Very wise friend. I remember looking at my husband once and he came, this is really early days, and he came out the bedroom and he went, gosh, I'm so tired. I think I've slept too much. I seriously wanted to lump him. (laughs) this is the same guy that whilst I was having gave birth the midwife came in I don't know how she didn't lump him either and she said how are you doing and he she, he went oh I'm okay thanks the chair's a bit uncomfortable and she she's amazing she said, I wasn't asking you love <laughs> I love it I love the innocence of it the chair is uncomfortable I'm like I'm hoofing a watermelon out <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. So and that how I think that is so important there, communication, but asking for help. And I will be honest, I can be a bit of a bit of a master about this. I call myself a mum master sometimes because I will just do it all because sometimes it's easier to do it all. I'm tired, Same. but I'll do it because otherwise I've got to nag him to see if he's done it. Of course, I've been not listening to this and then see whether he's done it to um a whether he's done it and whether he's done it okay so yeah I can really resist asking for help sometimes and be a bit more I think so yeah I think so many people listening to this will nod away and agree with that we you know we've been sold that we can do everything so we have the children we return to work but we're still doing all of the domestic stuff so actually we screwed ourselves over that we're taking on 150 percent now yeah in this pursuit of proving we can yeah. um I can't remember there's that really good book isn't there where you um you divide the task that you oh, do fair in play. yes yes yeah. I personally haven't done it but loads of people really rave about it and that it really helped um particularly around the time of returning to work when actually you're not at home all day to pick up the domestic stuff yeah. um yes yeah, so that might be a good re- I perhaps I should read that I've actually I'll, I've got the book I can send it to you Olivia if you want Oh, I'll be honest, I'm more of a, a listen to the audiobook kind of person these days. <laughs> audiobooks, it's weird. I have to physically, I'm old-fashioned, got to actually physically read the words. Otherwise, I just tune out. Yeah, well, I, yeah, that is, for enjoyment, I always read the book. But for more like workbooks and things like that, I'll do the audiobook. I've probably taken about 25%, but anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can much these days. But yeah, ask for help, keep talking. I think that's really, really wise words. And then... Last question, this is a really interesting one. Um, going under general anaesthetic and her eight-year-old is feeding to sleep, how to cope with 24, 48 hours when they can't feed? I'm going to guess that's eight-month-old, not eight-year-old. 
Yeah, did I say eight years old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but just just to clarify, because an eight month old liver is less anyway. So I don't know with this. So remember that we do um, general anaesthetic cesarean sections, and that the baby will feed immediately. Um, you tend to find people go for general surgery, and they're told by the anaesthetist, perhaps, or the person that's doing the operation, yeah, you'll need a pump and dump because of the general anaesthetic for like one to two days. That's incorrect. Um, and the best place to get information regarding that is the breastfeeding network. They have a general anaesthetic um, surgery fact sheet, um, and that will lay out all the different drugs, um, what the risks are, if there are risks, yada, yada. It may be that the surgery is um, including other drugs or something like that. Um, but it's actually very unusual that breastfeeding needs to be interrupted. There's also elactantia.org and that you can put a drug name in and it will, it's the most incredible website, breaks down whether it's safe, unsafe, what a safe alternative would be. Um, but obviously with a general anaesthetic and surgery, it may be that mum and baby are apart because of the operation and healing time. So, again, like we've kind of said about childcare, I wouldn't stress yourself too much about trying to prepare your baby if you're going to be a part um just i suppose you want to make sure that your baby will accept either formula or expressed breast milk um and you may want to leave the baby for a few hours maybe going to bed and doing the beginning of the night with whoever's going to care give whilst you're in hospital but don't worry if that doesn't go amazingly well because all we've got to do is hopefully the baby can be brought to you in the day and you might be able to breastfeed them. Um, all we need to know is that the baby is being loved and cared for. And if they are upset with this change in no their norm for these two days, they're held in loving arms. Um, it may be slightly stressful for the person caring for the baby. And what I would say to them is there are no rules. So if you need to get your baby back to sleep in the night without the breasts and you're struggling, you may well find yourself driving around in your car at 3 a.m. to get them back to sleep. You may put, you know, put them in the sling at 3 a.m. and bob them around until they're asleep. Uh, push them in the pram. You do what you've got to do. Everyone's going to dig deep for those two days and you will survive. Your baby will not be harmed. Um, it will be OK. And then in terms of the person that's in hospital, so you will need to be pumping to a avoid mastitis, but also to make sure that you're comfortable. Um, I'd recommend taking in your own pump if you can. It's much easier than trying to go through the, the bowels of the NHS trust trying to get hold of a maternity one. Um, if you can take your own pump, do. And then in terms of milk storage, if the milk can be given to the baby, the drugs are OK, then it can be stored in one of those insulated um, lunch boxes with an ice pack for up to 24 hours. So somebody could come in the next day and take whatever's home and put it in the fridge for the baby at home. Or in the very, very rare occasion that actually the drugs aren't compatible with breastfeeding, you would just pump and literally pour the milk away there and then. Um, but yeah, it's tricky to say without knowing a bit more about the operation and whether mum and baby will mm -hmm. be apart. Lots of hospital trusts should have a, um, a policy about supporting breastfeeding parents of children under two-ish that says that if the parent can um, independently care for the child, the child can actually be an inpatient with the mother. They're just there. They're not actually a patient. They're just 
the mother's sidekick, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But that can be tricky. You know, if you've had an operation, you may well be sore and not able to care for your baby independently. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great. Right? I think that's, I know that that's going to help a lot of people just hearing that it's going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. That is, yeah, it, it, it is going to be hard for, for everybody involved, I suspect, and it will be emotional. But just to reassure someone, do you know what? You will be OK. It will be a hard, gritty 48 hours. But yeah. nobody is going to have any long term problems from this. Yeah. Your baby, you will not break your trust and your bond with your baby. Um, your baby will be held in loving arms. And if they cry, that is OK. It, it's honestly not going to harm them as long as somebody is going... I hear you, this is hard for us all, and yeah. you will survive. I agree. Empathy and letting them hear that we've heard them, I think, is so powerful. Yeah, even for an eight-month-old, people will think, hang on, my eight-month-old eight doesn't know their, you know, their bump from their elbow. But they understand tone and just that. If you're saying those words to yourself, I think you can be a bit more patient and maintain your empathy a bit more than if you're just inside going, this is really hard, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't stop them crying. Um, whereas if you say stuff out loud, you actually are kind of calming yourself as well. Yeah. So so true, so true. And actually, I did that from a, from newborn with Betsy if she was crying. I hear you, it's hard. You hate, I'm trying to think what she hated. You hate having your nappy change. It, it'll be over, it's hard, but it'll be over in a second. And yeah, I don't know how much went in, probably never know, but it definitely helped keep me calm. And I definitely feel that it was helping her in that moment a little bit. Yeah, I really agree. I really agree. I know people think that we're, you know, being new age hippies about it sometimes but actually again it's those building blocks of of respect I'm just going to change your nappy now I know you don't like it Mm -hmm. but to keep you healthy and happy I have to do it yeah 100% 100%. it's like that that concept that if you gently parent you're dismissed you're you just allow your child to do whatever because you're meant to be gentle it's not it's about being empathetic to their needs and and saying to them, I see your emotion, but I am the parent and therefore I have to keep you safe, yeah. which means you're not legging it into the road. I change your nappy so that you're healthy. You know, it's okay to put boundaries in place. You're still a gentle parent, you, but you say, I know you're really angry about, I know that you're angry that I won't let you have another pack of whatevers or, you know, that I won't let you drink mummy's coffee or whatever it is um yeah. and just empathizing yeah 100 percent. empathy can go it's such a powerful tool i think such a powerful yeah tool. and i wish we were more empathetic to ourselves yes yes <laughs> i'm forever <laughs> talking to parents day in day out about how to be kind to ourselves and be gentle and be patient and give ourselves time so mm-hmm. hard to do it for yourself yeah exactly i totally agree so so hard so hard so much easier to hold that space for others I think as well yeah definitely oh Olivia I can't believe how quickly that's gone that has been amazing I've definitely learned some things and found it so interesting and funny I love I could just I could talk to you all day Olivia honestly oh, same. well so yeah, I mean I I love it's it's nice to talk to to just other people that actually want to hear about like parenting and feeding stuff you know once you've had a child that's your life you can feel a bit like the other side of you has disappeared for a bit but it does come back I promise it comes back yeah definitely definitely comes back a little bit you find snippets of your old self and then you're like oh who did 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And sense of humour. When sometimes I found my sense of humour would disappear when the babies were very little and you're in the trenches of it all and, you you know, sense of humour to me is a real part of, well, that that's me. And when you start to laugh with your partner again and when you start to find things funny again, you think, oh, yeah, it's going to be okay. <laughs> a little bit of me is coming back. Yeah, laugh, a sense of humour. You've got to laugh or you might cry. I think a sense of humour... <laughs> We'll always, exactly. I'll always see the funny side, even in the darkest of moments, I think. Or when you start laughing hysterically and next thing you know, it's you've ended it with messy, snotty, sobbing mess. But oh, it yeah. Do it yeah, totally <laughs> been there. But yeah, it's been so lovely talking to you, Olivia. Is there anything you want to share? Any advice to parents? I'm definitely going to, I've been furiously writing notes as we've been chatting. So I'm going to put the returning to work highlight up in the show notes the solid yeah. start things about water the breastfeeding network the fair yeah. play the, oh I know what I was going to say about the rocket I got a rocket very kindly someone gave me um a rocket for Betsy and I was a little bit skeptical how it was going to work and again yeah. it was a little bit hit and miss but it was a game changer because was it one, yeah for some of those days where I was just like I just can't walk I can't pound the pavements again. I'm too exhausted. I just yeah. need to just sit. It it did help. It lost its bit. I'll be honest. I always am. As she got a bit older, it yeah. lost its magic power. But I think that's just because she just wouldn't nap in a pram. I don't think it had anything to do with the rocket. Interesting. And I do look at them. I think, oh, I should get one. Um, there's loads of them secondhand, isn't there? Maybe I should invest. Yes. I, I think it is worth it. I'll talk to you afterwards about it. But I person I'm always honest that nothing is ever, ever a magic bullet for yeah. parenting or a magic wand. And yeah. nothing will ever ever work for everybody. But sometimes there's there's just little things that just help us on our merry way. And that was yeah. one of the things that I did find useful. Good to know. Good to know. That and a snooze shade to the buggy as well. I think I've got one of those. So yeah, I yeah. I'm just so disorganised. I can never have all that stuff in the right place at the right time. So <laughs> I try. I'll try. We can only do our best. It is hard. It's, yeah, I don't know how you do it. It's, I've only got one and I find it hard. So different from being a nanny. Oh, yeah. That, it's very different, isn't it? That's what I found as a midwife. You know, I can change a baby's nappy in two seconds flat. But when it's my baby that's screaming and crying, my heart is breaking versus when you're a midwife and this child that you know you're going it's okay it's okay but when it's actually your child it's yeah. so different so it actually it comes back to what we were saying before about how at the same time it's nothing changed for me it did feel like a bit like a busman's holiday but that at 7 p.m or at the end of the day I couldn't just go right see you later see you tomorrow morning I was like this is it forever so on one hand being a nanny and then becoming a parent it was it was like nothing had changed it was just like yep here we go again but on the other hand everything could change and it is so different it, yeah that constant push and pull me it's very strange yeah bizarre but yeah it, I do find you just get used to it though as the children get older and yeah. things are always challenging but they're new yeah. challenges and I think you know do you know what? We got through X, Y, Z when they were little and we can do this. Yeah. You know your strengths once you've had, once you've gone through the newborn bit or whatever phase of parenting you find very hard, you can look back and go, we survived that. We're going to be OK. Yeah, we can do it again when it, yeah. when we're going through a bit of a shish show with sleep, because believe it or not, sleep consultants, babies don't get the memo that they work for sleep and have shish sleep too. I'm like, well, I got through 
two hourly wakings at some point for weeks I can I can do it again and yeah again exactly. it doesn't take away how um, it doesn't make me any less snappier it doesn't make me hate my husband less it doesn't make me any less tired but it does help yeah. a little bit to know that I've done it once before the optimist in me is like you can do it again exactly I totally agree Actually, great. Oh, Olivia, thank you, thank you so much for coming and talk, talk and talking to us. If you are up for it, I would love to have you back on the show. I think it'd be really great to do a returning to work session because so many questions surrounding that that I think would be really helpful. But we'll, we will discuss that later, maybe. Perfect. Get in touch with me. Yeah, I definitely will. Thank you so much, Olivia. You're very welcome. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to me, your host, Kerry Secker, on the Carry Out Sleep Show. I really hope you found this podcast episode reassuring, informative, but most importantly, it helps you and your small to a more settled night's sleep the caring way. If you did, please don't forget to subscribe to the show below, leave me some feedback or share it with a parent pal. I love hearing that you love listening. My next podcast episode will be available in two weeks time. But if you really can't wait that long, please come and find me over on Instagram at Consultant. I update my sleep squares and speak about sleep there on the daily. Big love and sleep dollar darity. Until next time.